for me, I don't wait for something to come to me. I create it for me to go and get it. Like if I know what I want to do, I don't take no as an answer. I don't take rejection as an answer. I'll just say, okay, I got to find a new path and way. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, today in the guest chair, we have Marvina Robinson. Marvina is the founder of B. Stuyvesant Champagne, a boutique brand of champagne that launched in February 2020. Marvina's love for her hometown, Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, New York, is what inspired the name of the brand B. Stuyvesant Champagne. Marvina first came up with the idea of even having her own brand of champagne when she decided to have it serve as the private house label for her upcoming champagne bar that she was opening in Brooklyn. In order to achieve the goal of having her own brand of champagne, she worked directly with a vineyard in France to create the champagne. Marvina, whose love affair with champagne began in college, is now one of the few African-American women who owns a champagne brand. How cool is that? And in this episode, you will hear how someone goes from working on Wall Street to creating her own brand of champagne, including Marvina's experience going back and forth to France to launch the brand, how she financed her own business, and more. So let's get right into it. My name is Marvina Robinson. I am the founder and CEO of B. Stuyvesant Champagne. I officially call it B. Stuyvesant because that's our legal name. Some people call it Stuyvesant for short, but it all is B. Stuyvesant. B. Stuyvesant is a boutique brand champagne. Um, We officially launched publicly February 2020. So we are approaching our one year anniversary. And I've been working on the business behind the scenes for like over like two years. Um, We have two signature cuvées, which is the Grand Reserve and the Root Rosé. We're currently expanding out. We recently released the 375 milliliters, half bottles of champagne. And we we know we're just here making our name in a spot for ourselves on shelves with a new champagne on the market. curious how someone goes from Wall Street to creating their own champagne line. So can you share a little bit more about your career path leading up to this? Yeah. So basically I've worked in Wall Street finance for over 20 years, ever since I graduated from college. I went to Norfolk State for undergrad. I got my my bachelor in biology. Then I immediately went to work into the um, finance industry. Then I knew I wanted to be competitive within within the finance industry. And I went to graduate school at Columbia University, got my master's in statistics. And I've been working in the finance industry ever since Wall Street. Um, I would say this is an interesting journey only because, you know, how does one go from finance to champagne, right? I would say that there's no direct correlation. It is something that I love, right? I like to say at my in a previous life or my previous love, Wall Street was it. Finance was it. I used to be the first person on the desk, the last person. I would wake up reading newspapers, watching the markets. And I guess as I got a little bit older, the entrepreneur bug kind of bit me. Actually, my first entrepreneur was actually I ran a sneaker art show and that was really cool. But that was a one time event. And I began to kind of just look around. I look around. I just was scared because I always felt I went to school for this. This is what I'm destined to do. I am destined to, I want to be an MD. I want to do this. 
MD mean a managing director within a major Wall Street firm. And for me, I just realized like that's not where my heart and my love is at anymore. I really struggled within myself and I found something that I loved. And for me, I had an indoor cycling studio on Myrtle Avenue in Brooklyn, which was great, but probably the wrong location for it. I ended up converting that into a cafe. And this is really how the champagne came about is my landlord would not allow me to, to sell beer and wine because that's ultimately what I wanted to do in my cafe. And wow. yes, he would, you know, in New York, you have to have a, your landlord has to sign yes. up. For and I decided, you know, what he kept telling me no. And I was like, you know what? This ain't it for me. And I never want to stay in something where I'm forced or it's not my true vision. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to close this and I'm going to follow my path. And for me, I always wanted to open up a champagne bar. And I said, I need it to be unique because here in New York, you know, as you may know, there's a bar everywhere. So I wanted yeah. to be unique and have my own house brand. So I decided that's where Stuyvesant was going to be about. I, I ventured to France and I began looking to make connects. It was far from easy. I'm just giving you the short version. Um, it was far from easy, but I ended up finding a vineyard that wanted to work slash partner with me to actually create this, you know, my own private label champagne. And, you know, we just kicked it off. Um, well, and I'm happy to, I'm happy. I'm happy we're, we're, we're definitely going to have to dig into that. We're going to yeah, need some elaboration. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry about that. But before we get to that, I just want to say you are casually, I mean, I'm sure it's so normal to you now because you did it and, you know, you lived it, but you started this and then you started that. And for so many people, including myself, we have all these ideas and we're afraid to jump on them right away. But you went from one thing to the other. Um, how did you have not only the mental fortitude, but also the cash <laughs> to start these different businesses like in New York that required real estate? I finance all my businesses in which I am blessed. I was blessed and fortunate to have a good career on Wall Street in which I had a nice lucrative salary, um, nice bonuses in which I saved. And, you know, I was able to do it. Maybe that was meant for my journey was, hey, work on Wall Street, make some money, stack some, you know, stack a little bit. When you get the entrepreneur bug, get it going. My first business, um, when I had my indoor cycle, I actually partnered with my cousin, you know, and it was a good thing for a little bit, but I kind of realized I don't want a partner because you know, a lot of things can happen with a partner. You got to check on them. You got to do this before you can make any real movements. And for me, I move fast and quickly. I do a lot of my work in the middle of the night and I make fast decisions. And I feel like I didn't always want to have to check in with somebody. So that's why, like, when I opened my cafe, when I opened, you know, launched this, I decided I was going to finance it myself. And I don't want to owe people money. And if I fail, only person I owe or disappoint is myself. Absolutely. I love that. That is very, very inspiring. Just stacking that cash and being able to finance. And incrementally, I'm sure, did you dump a whole lot of money into anything at once? Or was it like, you know, you went more of an incremental approach? Um, so for the cafe, I just said, listen, I got I had this space. I had to convert it in which I had to get an architect to come in and convert this entire space. As we know, architects are expensive. So, you know, listen, I'm a hustler. So I had to like work with him on my prices. Like, this is what, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going <laughs> to 
I don't hit me with numbers because I'm I'm a haggler. I, everybody knows that I'm a haggler. You tell me ten dollars, I'm gonna be like seven. <laughs> um, seven. <laughs> then I, I I had a uh, a contractor who worked with me price wise. Of course, he banged me in my head initially. I'm looking like this ain't gonna work. I'm gonna need you to come down on these numbers, and you know, and we worked together and. Okay. What I was doing was I just didn't hand them over everything. I would just like, I paid them in increments, but I paid them out of my bank accounts and stuff like that. Where I had other side of investments for some of them, I might've closed out some positions on stock that I had and which, you know, gave me some cash. Other than that, that's how I really went about it. And actually with my cafe and I, I'll just like, I'm going to be open person. I made a bad decision and I got stuck cash wise. Somebody which, stole with the cafe. Yes. Somebody ended up stealing oh, money. No. And you know what? And I, it's a learning lesson, right? It was a, oh no, it was a, oh no. Remember that, you know, that song I said, oh no, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> it, was, it was, okay. My mother stepped in and helped me out. And, she, and I, I'm, I'm a person of pride and I was embarrassed about the situation. And that's what moms, you know, that's what you know, parents, for. parents kind of step in yeah. and she helped me out. And, and you know, I appreciate she, you sharing that because that's real. It's real. And, you know, so that's how business goes in and out. Also, as I got the business, you know, I try, you know, make sure I pay my mom's back with the champagne. I just said, listen, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I just started like paying for it. You know, I had to go back and forth to France so many times. And that's like really how it went. So it started out with this is what we needed to, you know, secure this. And this is what we need to secure that. And I kind of like really did it. I would say for the, the champagne, I would kind of say everything kind of went in increments. Like we had to get the inventory, but I kind of built the business and the structure out on the back end side where our warehouse space was very small, very small before. Now we have a full office and a, and a tasting room, which I didn't feel comfortable acquiring initially because I didn't want to be responsible for a big rent. But now we're able to, you know, like, expand where staff all comes in, but can't really come in. But yeah, all of that, like even when with the actual bottles, which I'm sure we're going to get into in a little bit. Well, let's, well, let's, let's, before we to cut you off, but I just want to make sure we, we dive into more of the background of what went into it. So now let's talk about Paris, Paris. You had to go there to identify a vineyard. All right, where where did you even begin with that process? How did you know where to go? I didn't know where to go. I got a referral on a drunken night in Paris at like five o'clock in the morning, sitting on the sidewalk eating crepes. I was hanging out in Paris. I was by myself and I met up with friends of a friend of a friend. And he was actually in the process of opening a bar in Congo. So he was French black man. And we were sitting on the street. We was just talking. He was like, well, what's the one thing you want for your bar? Cause we were swapping stories. I said, I want my own champagne brand. He was like, well, we're in France. You know, it only comes to France. I'm like, I know. The hard part is, um, you know, making a contact. He's like, that's actually the easy part. He said, because I can, I can make the introduction for you. And you just do your rest. You do the rest. And that's actually how it happened. And what's crazy is... Um, I wrote it on my hand so I remember the next morning because sometimes, you know, you drink, you don't remember all conversations. So when I woke up the next morning, I was in my hotel and I looked at my hand, I said, holy shit, honey, iced tea. I wonder if he's up yet because I'm an early bird. Like I only need four hours of sleep. So I called him. And it's so funny. I called him back to back two times. The first time he didn't pick up. 
he was like, hello, is there something wrong? I'm like, no. I said, let's let's talk about the champagne. Um, such a, you know, con- he's this like. This sounds like a movie. <laughs> he's like, yo, we just got in like three hours ago. He's like, let me wake up. I said, well, what time is that going to be? He's like, can I at least get till noon? I'm like, noon? I'm like, that's four hours. He was like, we just got in. He's like, he's like, all right, fine. He's like, he's like, call me back around noon. I said, we said, we go get something to eat. I'm like, okay, um, I'll be going back at noon. He's like, all right. I call him back at noon. He's still sleeping. I'm like, oh no, you got to get up. I said, come on, let's, I said, he's like, all right, I'm getting dressed. I'm getting dressed. He said, I'm going to meet you at your hotel. So, you know, we got dressed and he's like, how did you not sleep? And we were just talking. I'm like, come on, we're just going to sit. And we, we, we had lunch and we just sat and we talked and we just start. And it started from there. He made the introduction and I took it from there. You know, he helped me out along the way with the language barriers. Him and I are still in, in contact. We speak literally almost every day by um, whatever, WhatsApp. And that's how it really started. And I just began to make my own content. I started to go out to France and I'm I, I'm a person that could connect the dots quickly. Like, I don't need you to hold my hand in anything. Like you give me you open you open the door. I'll take a step for you in. can take it from there. Take it from there. So I, I started like ro- roaming people's grounds like, hey, you know, like what's going on over here? You know, like what do you mean roaming their ground? <laughs> I just was like a walker. Like I'll go into different vineyards and I would just talk or attempt to talk. And you could tell some people might be interested. Some people look at you like you're crazy, like get off my land. When you made that connection, what were you thinking as far as next steps? You were looking for someone to be the person who would help you formulate your particular champagne or were you looking for someone to distribute it? Like, what were you thinking and how did that connection help you? To be honest, I didn't know what I was looking for because I didn't think it could happen. That I didn't think it could happen or I didn't think that the connection was going to be made so fast. Like, I didn't have a structure. I didn't even have a business plan, to be honest. My business plan was in my brain and in my notebook and in my laptop where I bookmark 100 pages that I need. So for me, I think on my feet, um, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And for me, I was just like, okay, I need to find a vineyard who's going to help me bring my vision to life. That was it. And, you know, and I, I, as I spoke to different people, I kind of just laid out my ideas. Like, listen, I want to put out a full production, a full brand. This isn't a one bottle or two bottle thing. This is, I want different options. I want different sizes. And I, I want it to be unique. So that was what I would go in and say, because there's no playbook. I didn't know what, what I was saying. I didn't even know what I was really doing at the time. I just knew, one, I'm smart. Two, I'm really good at figuring things out. And three, when, you know, a door is closed in my face, I just got to figure out, okay, what went wrong? And how do I make this right? And how do I fix it all together? That's really what it was. And, and like, sometimes people reach out to me and they ask me step by step. And I, I tell them the same thing. I had no playbook. There is no playbook. <laughs> I, There's no playbook. The one you're looking for is not here. Yeah, I, I just, I really just go with things on the wind. I write it down. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm old school where I write, I have a book that I write things down in. Even my calendar, like, you know how we have these fancy phones. I don't even put my appointments in my phone. I put my appointments in my book. And my assistant kind of like, I leave my, my, my book somewhere, like on the side of the desk, and she'll write in what's coming up. So two things that you say really stand out to me and, and speak to my heart. So I, I hope it speaks to as listening as well. But um, number one, 
when you when it came to partnership, you knew that you didn't want to be tied to having to check with and run things by someone else. And I think that one stands out to me because many times there's this, especially in entrepreneurship, like the, the type that you see on television, like that go to the VCs and go on Shark Tank, there's this impression that you have to have a co-founder, like that makes you more attractive. And so what I think that does sometimes is make people less confident in themselves, like, oh, I can't do this without a co-founder, but there's a lot that you can do. And so the second thing you said stands out for that reason, because you're like, I know I'm smart, I know I don't know, you know, some things, and I, but I can figure it out. And that is such a critical thing to have in you that I can figure it out. <laughs> so I hope everyone takes that away. Like we can figure this out. Um, so how did you figure it out? You know, how did you figure out from that meeting, from those meetings in Paris to what we see now as bottles on a shelf with your label on it? How did you figure it out? So one, thank you for highlighting that. And I just want to just, I just want to point out one thing, right? For me, in my previous career, I worked in Wall Street and we all know that is not an industry for the fame, right? And you have to be a shark and on point. I used to be on a desk at times and I used to be, and when I, in my younger, when I first graduated from grad school, I never wanted to ask for help because I always felt like help make you, makes you look weak. So I would figure things out. Like I would have to price instruments. And sometimes I wanted to say, well, how do I get this price? Or I wanted to ask about a rate and I would be too scared to ask about it because I'd be like, once you open your mouth and say, you don't know how to do something, you look like you don't know what you're doing. So that's where I kind of always developed, figured it out on your own. And sometimes it's easier to ask people, but also a good trait is to be able to figure it out because you want to be in these situations. And also regarding the partner, I mean, if you find the right partner, I think partnerships is great because I can tell you, being that I don't have a partner, everything really is on me to do, down to supplies, down to everything. And sometimes I am in over my head and as good it might sound or looks from behind the scene, there are days where I come home and I pull the covers over my head and I have a ball fest underneath the covers for like two minutes and then I pull it together and I said, okay, this ain't gonna help, but like, I got to get back to work. So that's how I handled that initially. To your question, how did I figure it out? I just began to do things, as you stated earlier, in increments. Okay, let's find a vendor. We found a vendor. Let's get some samplings going on. Going back and forth to France, um, I used to have, you know, what is this going to taste like? Like, what's the production time? What does the bottles look like? And then on my end, the vineyard's like, we don't do everything else. He said, everything else is up to you. Like, you guys got to tell us how you want this labeled, how you want it packaged. I'm like, oh, I got to do all of that. Okay. So now I got to put another hat on. One had to figure out the name. One had to figure out the design of the actual label, because when you go into a store, we're all guilty of looking at what looks prettiest or what, what bottle looks nice or what looks nice on the shelf. So I had to make it visually apparent, appealing. And that's really how I started. As far as going to conversations with the different vineyards. I just, I would just be as, like how I'm talking to you. I just tell them what's on my brain. I'd be like, I want to, I want to, I'm opening up a champagne bar. I want a, a private label and I want options. And at first it was just two. And then we just expanded out. Like I want to be able to offer a demi stack, which we have coming to stack. I want a Blanc de Blancs. And those who said they were receptive to it is where I kind of like 
went on to it. And I would also say in the very beginning, I couldn't afford to do everything because this was not a cheap, you know, venture. I couldn't afford to have customized corks. So I would use generic corks. Now all our corks are customized. So I just say that I built this incrementally where I could get to where I'm, where, where my true, my true vision is just now falling into place. Yes. Oh, and I love that you brought that up as well, because that's something that I share also with like one of my three steps that I always use to get started is recognizing that in the beginning, you just got to cover the basics. Like you need a cork. All right, get a cork. Later on, you could get the customized cork. But if you're waiting to launch until you get customized corks, you're never going to get to market. And then you're never going to make enough money to be able to level up. <laughs> so exactly. I'm so glad you mentioned it. it. Like now everything, the bottles are now fully customized to what I like. And I never got... We just finalized our logo last month. That's the crazy part. <laughs> and <laughs> it's because I wasn't sure or I didn't like anything that was coming to me. Yeah. So I had to really just wait. So I always tell people we don't have an official logo. It's just the name B. Stuyvesant or Stuyvesant. And then See, I, that's um, another thing. That's okay too. You don't need, no one cares about your logo. They care about your products. We care more about our logos. And Exactly. So I'm going to say when I feel comfortable with something that I love, not like, but mm-hmm. love, is when mm-hmm. I will war with. And that's what I did. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being your own boss, but trying to figure out your financials on your own isn't one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like you. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices to organizing expenses to managing online payments and automates and simplifies them, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. FreshBooks has your back at tax time, too. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section and get more time back to build the business you love. Were you still side hustling at this point or were you completely working for yourself? I was side hustling all the way. Okay. So you were, you were still in finance. I worked in Midtown Manhattan. I would leave Friday, catch that 6.40, 6.35 flight out of New York, get into France Saturday morning. And I would go straight to business, go to my hotel, shower. Um, because I go to so much, I always stay at the same hotel concierge knew to have my tickets waiting for me to get to the train station, to get to the France region, to the Champagne region of France, which is like an hour train where I consider it, taking a Metro North to stamp to actually New Haven. Then I would come back on Sunday and I get in Monday morning. I was a member at Equinox. I would shower at the gym. I'd leave a change of clothes and I'd go to work tired as heck, but I made it work. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, that's what I'm talking about. I've never heard a story like that before. That's that what I used to do. People, like, people say, oh, it's fun going to France. How long did that process take? Um, I was going back and forth for close to like almost a year. Like some, maybe some, I didn't go every week. Maybe I went a minimum two, two weekends out of a year. The process started also by emails. And then when it was time to really like hone in, I started going. 
on a bi-weekly basis. Sometimes at one point I was probably going weekly because I wanted to move things up. And it's hard to really do a lot of business by email or phones. And the language barrier was terrible. So what did you do to overcome that? Were you using like Google, Google Translate? I was Google Translate, but the time zones was bad for me because I was working and I couldn't really dedicate all the time during work. Like I would start with them at three o'clock, you know, six hour time difference. But when I was at work, you know, I worked in a trading desk. I really can't be on my phone or looking at emails all the time. Number one, I never went, I never had access to my email on my actual work computer because that's a violation. So I would have to go outside, look at my phone and answer emails. And if you miss the t- cutoff time, it's already, friends is already in s- sleep. So it was really difficult. So I just decided to keep trucking. And I never even told some of my friends when I was going, I'm just like, oh, I'm busy this weekend. And I would just leave because I also had a phobia of failing. And if I failed, oh, here we, you know, like I, everybody has that phobia. You don't want to share it. But really failing is really just, right. well, failing isn't really failing. Failing is just a learning lesson to say, hey, what could I have done differently? And I've failed at a lot of different things specifically within in the champagne with things with my business, things I thought I was doing right. I was doing wrong, but I figured out how to do it right a little bit later on. Like, give us an example of that. What do you mean? Yes, I would say for me, it's a lot of lessons I learned along the way. One of the lessons I would say is working with people. And I would say my people skills were not always the best. And I had to increase them on the fly. I ended up hiring a friend or an associate of mine in which I thought we were on the same page. But for me, I didn't have the barrier up to say, hey, business, personal. And the person always overstepped it. And then I had to really put the barrier up and and cut it short. Like, okay, this is business. I don't play with business. I'm nonsense free when it comes to business. I'm very strict. They didn't respect that. And and I also thought that I made them comfortable because sometimes I would joke about things. And then I realized I am create I am the creator of the problem. So for me, I had to change the way I work with people, which is key and clutch because sometimes as the leader of an organization, people look at you and you have to lead by example. So that would say that was one. Two, I would say also, I had no knowledge about this. So picking different, like um, I would say vendors working with, I wasn't asking the right questions. I only realized I wasn't asking the right questions when things were going wrong. And I would say, well, how come we didn't have this address? And they would say, you never asked that. And I would be like, you know what? After I like fussed them out, you're right. I didn't ask that. Let me write this in my book. So now when I'm looking for a new vendor, I have all these questions and I am now almost a year later, finally finalized with all the vendors and they're operating the way I expect them to based off of the mistakes I made. So it's a growing process or growing pains as I like to call it. Tell us about launch. How did the launch go? You know, how was that first day, that first month like, especially given that you launched right before COVID happened? So tell us about how that went, how you went about marketing and gaining your first customers and how the whole experience was. Um, so here's the funny story. I never really wanted to go on shelves. I was content on not going on shelves, but a certain store owner was interested in the product and she 
she always had kind words for me. And um, I just said, you know what? I'm a rock with her. I'm going to just do it. And I was not ready, to be honest. And to my surprise, it was a bigger event than I expected. It took off significantly faster than I expected. And I just said, you know what? I said I wanted it. Let's rock. I just had to pull up my big girl panties and say, listen, I'm, I'm with it. This is what I'm doing. And at this time, now I'm a full-time entrepreneur. So now around February, probably around November of 2019, my job, I ended my job and I'm like really working full-time. And what did you know you were ready to leave your job? I didn't know I was ready. I wasn't ready. It just happened. Here's the funny part. I already knew that I was unhappy in my current work work area, not because the job wasn't bad, was bad. It was because I was changing and my shifts and my love was different. I cleaned out my desk. You know, as a woman, you have like a whole lot of shoes underneath your desk for me. And yes. I, would, <laughs> I would have like shoes for every different outfit. I had a pair of boots, everything. And one day I just said, my love isn't here anymore, but I'm just too scared to really take that leap of faith. So as my, I took one step in clearing out my desk to say, this is not your home. This is not where you want to grow anymore. And I took all my shoes home. I cleared out my desk. I worked on a trade floor, so the desk wasn't that big, but I had a lot of shoes underneath there. And I cleaned out one day and I just said, one day I'm going to not be here. And the firm was going through structure change and it was downsizing and I was included in downsizing. And I said, if this not the glorious day of my life, I say we, I got included in downsizing on Tuesday. I was in France by that Friday, Saturday. I came home. I remember I booked my ticket in the lobby. Actually, I went to go get a drink <laughs> um, at one of my favorite restaurants in Midtown. And I had like a champagne. I says, let me book my ticket right now. And it was like a blessing in disguise because after that, everything just took off. And um, you weren't even expecting to be on shelves? That's crazy. <laughs> it wasn't my goal. Like, I haven't released the stores again yet. And I'm going to, I'm in the process of doing so. I'm just putting everything in order. Um, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a goal of mine. Like, what I'm doing right now is I am trying to find COVID safe space for this spring to open up a seasonal pop up bar champagne Mm -hmm. pop-up bar from like April till October. That's what I'm working on. And so let's talk about that pivot. So all of us in some way, shape or form have had to pivot due to COVID. So what are the main revenue streams that you have for Beast Stuyvesant, seeing that the bar has had to be closed for a certain period? So the bar Coupette NYC officially did not open because due to COVID, um, we currently have an e-commerce store, which is embedded in our website, in which we're able to work with consumers who want to purchase the product. The goal is to enter into retail stores. I am trying to roll that out, but I'm trying to make it a seamless process. People think that I'm holding the product being selfish, but I'm not. I just have to make sure that we can meet demand. So on my end, I've beefed up inventory due to COVID, shipments and importing is one of the hardest things to do right now. And I don't think people truly understand that. And it's not their role to, it's just for me trying to convey that it's very hard. And 
I am hustling behind the scenes, trying to find different vendors. There are some transporters in France that have not returned or opened back up. So we are forced, because the industry has been decreased, versus a transporter having 10 clients, they now have like 40. So like you're really bidding to get your stuff out right away. And I am annoying because I put alarm clock on. I am calling at two o'clock in the morning. Hey, is my stuff up? Hey, where's my shipment at? Hey, are we on yet? So I am that person where they'd be like, oh, bon, bon, bonsoir, bonjour, mademoiselle Robinson. We're working on it. Like, <laughs> like you call us one more time. <laughs> so, but that's how you have to be. Like COVID has been an issue but you have to be able to ride it and override, you know, rock it out. And for me, one, I'm thankful for all our customers for being patient because we have had severe delays. So I thank all of them for being patient. Two, I, you know, I'm thankful that vendors in France are still, you know, working with us to make sure we get our shipments. And, you know, sometimes customs isn't your best friend. FDA isn't your best friend. You know, it does get stuck. And I'm thankful for my team because once we get our shipments, we work really fast and hard to overturn it within one day to get the shipments out. So we it's a it's it's been a difficult process. I'm not gonna lie to you at all. But I feel like we're getting better. We will be better. And I would say in a couple more months, we will be beyond the vision I've already documented in my book. A lot of people lose money. First few years business, even without COVID, but you know, with everything that you've just shared, I mean, I was thinking the e-commerce alone, like, okay, that's a challenge versus being in person. But then I forgot about the shipping delays and all of that. So what has been your experience on the financial end, like losing money, breaking even, coming out with a profit? Can you share? I would say that we are blessed. Like B. Stuyvesant has been blessed. Um, we've taken losses in certain areas, but I have to say that those losses have been covered in other aspects of the business where we are in the green zone versus the red zone. Hallelujah to that. I very love to hear that. It's not me. It's, it's the customers who, who are supporting us. They are so understanding. We have a lot of repeat customers and I... And let me tell you, it's frustrating for them. It is frustrating for me. This holiday season, we were slammed. When I say slammed, we were slammed. And I was, listen, we were working 12 to 14 hour days every day. And I felt bad because I'm like, you guys got to go because I can't have you guys here after 10 hours. Like, there's no way because at this point, it's going to be cold and I'm being- Are you talking about at at a warehouse? Yeah, staff, like we're, we're trying to do shipping. I can't have them there at that time because they would be like, what kind of slave trade is this going on? So I was like, you guys got to go. <laughs> right. And for me, I mean, as the owner of the brand, I'm going to work twice as hard. So I was working every day. I was coming home, like, listen, mask off, bra off, shower bed. That's really how I was going. I would get up, <laughs> oh, man. you know, like... And I would be there back in the office. I would be the first one in. And I was just hustling. But I was exhausted. Like, you could put your fingers in my bags underneath my eyes. And I was just tired. But I was like, listen, I got to get as much out as I can get so people could have their bubbles for Stuyvesant. And my greatest moment, honestly, was on New Year's Eve. 
I was just looking at all the different tags and the reposts where people were like, oh my goodness, I'm sipping my Stuyvesant. The videos they were making for New Year's. I'm like, what? Oh my goodness. Like, I was so ecstatic about that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't even know how to perfectly describe the energy or the feeling I had to really see it because you think about it. Like, even to this day, I, I like, though I know I'm putting out this product, people that I don't know. And I say this, your friends and your family are going to always support you initially. But after that, you on your own. And (laughs) (laughs) people have been supporting even Alaska. I have um, a repeat customer in Alaska. Customers on the West Coast, East Coast, you know, Chicago, Arkansas, like it's just everywhere. And it's just so crazy. Like somebody was, I did an interview early and it was like, well, where's your main base customers from? I'm like, they're from all over. And we pulled up this map because I could pull up all the orders. And we literally almost, we even had have orders from Hawaii. So it's just crazy that this brand that I created is like slowly manifesting throughout the United States. Though we have a lot of growing pains and I'm going to take the good and the bad, but I promise I'm slowly but surely kicking them all out. I'm just so impressed. I mean, it's, it's it was a hard, hard year to have a launch, a business launch. But I, for one, I'm really excited to have a Black woman created champagne. And, you know, I'm just rooting for the business. So I'm just so happy to hear that. Looking back, knowing what you know now, a year in, is there anything you would have done differently? I would honestly say no, because God has led me to the track where I should be at. So I will take every growing pain I had and growing pain I still have, because I feel like God has already set my destiny. So I'm not going to wish I'd done anything different because he has led me to this far and he will continue to lead me. And it's my responsibility to learn on my own. So with that, no better time than to jump into the lightning round. Basically, you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Oh my God. (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) I'm closing my eyes. I'm so scared to say what I can say, what I'm not going to say. Okay, I'm going to keep it clean. Number one, what is the resource other than Google that helps you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? That's a really tough question because initial research was just the internet. I would say for myself, barnesandnobles.com, as I began to expand my business, I wanted to know as much about champagne on my own in conjunction with taking classes So I would say reading books, knowledge, and I order a lot of my books from Barnes and Nobles. Number two, I know that no day is the same, but what is a non-negotiable part of your routine? Um, You know what? Honestly, when I open my eyes, I say a quick prayer and I recently started meditating and a good friend of mine told me, you have to claim your day in the morning. So now when I wake up, I say a quick prayer. I try my best not to look at my phone, even though it's like habitual, but I try my best and I I meditate and it's becoming my peace because I claim my day in the morning and it helps balance me out because I'm a tempered individual. Like it don't take a lot to get a rise out of me, but I know how to control it where I'm like, nope, you wasn't on my list today. I didn't claim you or it or this situation on my list. So this is not my problem today. 
So that's how I really start my day. Number three, what's a personal trait that you believe has helped you significantly in business? Being diligent. That is so key. You have to be diligent. You have to keep coming and coming and coming and also doing your own independent research. For me, I don't wait for something to come to me. I create it for me to go and get it. Like if I know what I want to do, I don't take no as an answer. I don't take rejection as an answer. I'll just say, okay, I got to find a new path and way. Number four, who is a mentor in your head? I like Jay-Z. I like the respect and the hustle of Jay-Z, how he built his empire. Slowly but sure. Mm -hmm. Number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about stepping away and losing that steady paycheck? I would say do it at your own time when you're freely comfortable, but always make time for your personal business on a day-to-day basis. Do not try to keep up with anybody. Work at your own pace and be diligent. And remember, whatever your business is, don't go by the norm because if you're going by the norm, everybody else is already doing it. So find ways to make yourself unique and begin to step out on a slow pace while still receiving that consistent check. Sometimes I wish I had that consistent check too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the consistent check is a beautiful thing. So Marvina, where can people connect with you after the show? So I would say on our website is our main page. It's www.styrusandchampagne.com. Our Instagram account, Champagne. I do read all emails. I am just not the quickest responder. But Amanda and Erica covers the emails and they get back to you within 24 hours. I do look at everything. So I'm always open to hear constructive criticism, feedback, because I feel like that plays into the brand because we are a consumer-based business and we have to make our consumers happy. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair. There you have it, you guys. Head over to sidehustlepro.co slash episodes for all of the show notes from this episode, all of the links that Mavina mentioned, including the helpful links and resources. Thank you again for joining and I'll talk to you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.